I was thinking about this idea of inviting people to church who do not believe and how awkward it must be for someone who struggles with faith to come into a place that is all built around faith. Uh, that is all built around belief. I mean, think about how difficult this must be if you are uh, somebody who just says, you know, I just, I'm not there. I'm not a Christian. I I don't believe. To come into a place where you see church people like me who are, you know, singing and, you know, reaching toward a God that you cannot see and you're going like, what's that guy reaching toward, right? And it's just, uh, let's admit it, it's just not a safe place to go if you're an atheist or agnostic or, or even what we would call a nun. You remember that? We introduced this term last week, the idea of a nun. And that's those who have kind of grown up and out of their faith. They, they might have grown up believing in, in their Sunday school God, but as they got older, their God did not grow up with them. And for whatever reason, uh, they have left the faith. And so if any of this is you, and I don't really care how you label yourself, uh, but if you struggle with belief, I am so glad. I mean, I am so glad Uh, that you're here uh, today. You are welcomed in our place. And I'm hoping that uh, today is a conversation that will engage all of us, uh, the theist and the atheist alike. And of course, the theist is somebody who believes that there is this creator God, and an atheist is someone who says that there is no God, or they believe that there is not this personal creator God. And so oftentimes when you get these two worldviews together, it lends itself for a good fight, doesn't it? And, and let's just admit it, if you come into this space uh, and you're not someone who believes, uh, I represent something to you. I'm a, I'm a pastor of a Christian church and, and you might think that somehow I am against you, that somehow my hand is against you or I'm gonna argue with you or try to beat you down or knock you down in some way. And I just wanna tell you from the bottom of my heart, that is not the story at all. Uh, that's not who we are. That's not who I am. And I'm so glad. Uh, that you have come into our space uh, today. And my hope is, is that we will have a good conversation uh, about this because I've been, I've been thinking about this. There are, there are actually a lot of things in our two different worldviews, our two different belief systems that really do tie us together. I don't know if you realize this, but there is a lot that we actually have in common, the theists and the atheists. And I've been reading and I've been watching a ton of these, what we call the new atheists out there, just watching a whole bunch of it. And uh, I've, I've learned a few things. Uh, the first thing I've learned is that there are these new atheists type of people uh, that are angry, arrogant, and narrow-minded, but it would be wrong of us to lump all of those people into one pile. And I've also learned something else about theists like me, about Christians like many of us, is that there are theists who are angry and arrogant and narrow-minded, and it would be equally as wrong for you to lump all of us into one pool together. Y'all with me so far? And, And so I think Uh, I would really love to have an honest conversation uh, with people of differing worldviews and and to assume the best out of each other. I'm hoping that none of us will come into this with angry hearts or arrogant hearts or narrow minds uh, that will not receive something from the other because I really do think that there is a lot more that we have in common than we would originally 
have thought. And so, for example, uh, the truth is we do have a lot in common. And there's some things in the atheist worldview and the atheist way of thinking that we can learn, those of us who are Christians, we can learn a lot from. And there's actually some things that I think that not only I could respect, that most Christians could respect. And, and here is the first thing. I, I just want you to think about this for a minute. We can admire the fact about atheism or agnosticism or whatever you might want to call it, uh, that they have that they've done something so much better than we have done, something that we have should have done a long time ago, and that is this. They have put their energies into ending the rule of religion and superstition over humanity. The rule of religion, the edge of religion, and the edge of superstition that has ruled over humanity. These new atheists have aggressively gone after the idea of just accepting religious and spiritual superstitions without questioning them. That is something that the Christian church should have done centuries ago. We, have, we should have stood against this plague of, of religious intolerance and religious just accepting things for the way they are without questioning them a long, long time ago. Basically, atheism has basically said that they are not going to allow any human being to misconnect the cause and effect relationship, to live under the weight of connecting belief systems to things that simply aren't true. And I love that. For example, have anybody in the room would admit that they are superstitious? Come on, we don't want to admit that. But a whole bunch of us are superstitious. Um, And it's amazing to me because for as advanced as we think we are, as smart as we think we are, so many people are still superstitious. And their religious beliefs drive their superstitions without questioning them. Uh, Like, you know, if you go back a little bit in time, think about this, that for centuries, I mean, for centuries, uh, when there was no rain, people would do the rain dance and they would dance and they would dance and they would dance and they would dance until rain would come and we would say well that's stupid who who possibly would do that and to that they would say but it works every time if you dance long enough right? I mean, you think about it. Uh, people literally thought the gods were bipolar or the, the, the rain gods were, uh, you know, confused or something. And sometimes uh, you would dance just for a little bit and guess what? Rain would come and they would say it worked. And other times uh, the gods needed a little bit more massaging, right? And uh, a little bit of the, their emotions placated. So you would dance longer and harder and more energetic. And all of a sudden the rains would come. And so at the end of it, they would say, see, it worked. And they would pass this on from generation to generation. And they would say, there, there's proof. There is your evidence of God. So atheism has come along and is, it is at war with superstition. It demands of us an objective analysis of cause and effect. And and so here's what I hear, even among us as Christians today, uh, Christians will say this, they'll say, um, they'll they'll tell me like, okay, I went to the mall and it was Christmas time. Glory to God. Glory to God. And I know God is good all the time. God is God is good all the time. And so I just pray. I say, God, you know I am your child. You know that I love you. You know that I am into your work and I cannot be slowed down by looking for a parking spot. No, 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 no. God, I am all about your kingdom. And so, God, I need you to deliver me a parking spot right up front by Macy's. And so here's what we do. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. And we drive around that mall 14 times. And bam, on the 15th time around, there's a parking space. Glory to God. And we think that that is somehow connected to God. 
And an unbelieving world looks at that and goes, really? On the 15th time, really? Come on, why are you thinking this? And there are all kinds of little things like that that become deeply religious for us if we were honest. And then when somebody comes along and challenges our belief systems or our superstitions or our mythology in some way, um, we often become defiant of that. We, we become hostile toward that. We are, uh, are angry at that instead of being grateful that somebody asks the question, is that real? I mean, is that really what faith is? Is that really how God shows up in people's life on the 15th time around the mall? And yet we go, well, that's proof that God loves me. And, and so I grew up uh, uh, around a lot of Catholics and they were convinced that if they didn't activate their faith, that somehow God would be mad at them. That God would somehow bring bad things into their life. And it, it was just a different kind of thing for me to watch people who were really superstitious about their religion. And so when they got in the car, it was this. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. When they went to the lake, it was this. God, you got to somehow take care of me. When they, when they just went out to dinner or got you know, people together, it was they had to somehow activate their faith as if God would be angry with them if they didn't. And when a movement comes along and says, really, is that really what faith is all about? Maybe those are questions that we should be asking. So if you read any of these atheist writers, I, I think at least on the surface level, you would see that, that there is a ruthless pursuit of truth. And that is something that Christians should be excited about. That is something that Christians should be able to get behind. Because why, friends? If you are a Christian in this room, you believe that truth comes from God. And that all truth belongs to God and originates in the heart of God. And that God set this world out there for us to explore and to discover the truth of this world. The, the pursuit of truth should not scare us. And, and we should be excited about that. As Christians, we can get behind that. But here's what happens to so many people. Uh, you, you grow up uh, in this childlike faith and you accept it as a child. And as you grow up, uh, what happens too often is that your faith doesn't grow up with you. You start asking adult-like questions of a childlike faith and all of a sudden these two worlds cannot seem to be reconciled and so confusion sets into your heart and your soul and your mind it starts to drift. It starts to alienate itself from the very God that you say that you love and wanted to follow. Your heart was there but you just couldn't buy it any longer. And so there's conflict and we end up leaving our childhood God. But the good news is this, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you're losing faith or if you're struggling to find faith or if you've been in and out of faith and you're just like on the edge of walking away from faith, the good news is that you're not alone uh, because humanity has been walking away from faith since the very beginning, right? I mean, even the story of Adam and Eve, if it can be believed at all, it is a story of two people who were shrouded in this thing called faith, walking away from their faith. Isn't that the essence of that story, Right? And so since the very beginning, people have been turning away from the God that they say that they love and that they knew for something else. Um, Richard Dawkins, this very famous atheist, he wrote The God Delusion. He writes about all of this in his book. And he says it like this. He says, since the very beginning of mankind, mankind has been disbelieving in God or unbelieving or unfollowing God. And he gives some examples, and he's right about this, right? Because he says, at one point, the greatest civilization on planet Earth worshipped the sun as God. But eventually, 
those people became atheists of the sun god and they moved away from it. And then he says there was the greatest empire the world had ever known, the most powerful dominant empire the world had ever known. And those people worshiped a pantheon of gods, right? And they worshiped the gods of Zeus and Thor and, uh, and, and Jupiter and all of this. But eventually those people stopped believing in those gods. They became atheists of that. And there aren't too many Zeus faithful left anymore, right? And, and so Richard Dawkins says it like this. He sums up his thoughts like this. He says, quote, we are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us, listen, some of us just go one step further. Even the early Christians coming in the days of Jesus, coming right out of the days of Jesus, they put their faith, their hope in Christ, they became Christians. And, and did you know that Rome labeled them as atheists? Because they no longer believed in the deified Caesar. They no longer believed in the uh, pantheon of Greek gods. And so they became known as atheists. But the early Christians were saying, no, 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 no. We're not atheists. Well, yeah, we believe in God. We just believe that you have the wrong God. That's what they thought. And so from the very beginning, uh, there's been this struggle, this tension of whether to believe or not to believe or whether to, what, and, and what to believe in. And this tension is part of the reason why so many people have simply walked away from faith. So many people say, I just don't want to worry about it anymore. I just don't want none of that or any of that, right? I have a friend who uh, started a podcast called Let God Die. Let God Die. And this was a dear friend. And, and when I heard this, I was like so upset. I was like, I thought you're a Christian. And, and so I, I went to him and I talked to him about it because I was so angry by this. You know, I was like, what are you saying? Let God die. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he explains to me this. He said some things that blew my mind. He, he says, you know, I've grown up in the church and I've grown up around Christian thinking all of my life, church thinking all of my life. And, the, and now at this stage of my adult life, I'm just questioning a whole bunch of things. And I've decided that I got to let some of the things that I thought were of God, I think I need to let them die. Some of my ideas and some of my views of what I perceive to be God, I, I need to let them die so that I can discover the real God of creation, so I can discover the real God of the Bible, not clouded by all of this modern Christianity that we've thrown in around it. And I was like, wow. And maybe that is true for a whole bunch of us. Maybe a whole bunch of us need to let the gods that we grew up with die away so that we can start over and figure out what is truth and what we really believe. And so if it's okay with you over the next few moments, I want to talk about some of the gods that do not exist at all, but the gods that we believed in enough to follow them. And then now we no longer follow them. And we think that we're moving all the way away from God, but really you're moving away from a God that never really existed in the first place. Does that make sense? So I want to talk about some of this. And, and, and I've talked about these things before, actually many times around here. Many preachers have talked about them, but I love the way that Pastor Andy Stanley talks about it. Uh, I think he talks about it best in his series uh, that, that he talks about people who are moving away one step at a time away from God. He says it's because they believed in a God that somebody 
he called it a somebody told me so faith. Somebody told me so faith. In other words, that people believe certain things about God just because somebody told them about it, a pastor, a priest, or, or a church, or maybe even parents, but they just simply told you, but you've never really investigated it on your own. And, and so he lays out a few concepts about God that, um, that people have come to believe in. And, and some of these versions of God, they just need to die away. So remember, uh, in this series, I'm trying to take the collection of the best thinking I can about this, and I want to bring them to you. So I'm going to take some of Andy's thoughts and I'm going to put my thoughts right in the middle of them. And my hope is, and my hope is, is that you'll be able to take your next steps toward God through some of this, that you might be able to settle in your soul what you believe about God. So is that good? All right. So let's talk about some of these versions, these visions of God, these childhood gods that we grew up that maybe, maybe we just need to let die. All right. And the first one is this. It's the bodyguard God, right? The bodyguard God. Maybe you've heard of this or thought about this before. If God is supposed to be good and loving and kind and fair, how can a God who is good allow bad things to happen to good people? You hear this all the time, right? Many people in this room struggle deeply with this because they believe in a God that is good and they have it in their mind that they are good. They're decent people and Frankly, they are decent people. And yet tragedy comes their way. Uh, evil comes their way. And, and they struggle with believing in a God who is supposed to be a good God when so much that is not good happens in their little world. And let me tell you something. Because of this, so many people struggle to believe. And let me tell you something, friends. This is certainly not a Christian argument or understanding of God. Christians should not go around thinking that God is good and thus God is good. All that is good is going to happen to you and the bad is not going to come your way. Christians should not think that. You hear me, friends? As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this. This is going to be crazy. The very thing we call the Christian faith, it started off by something horrible, tragic, terrible, and evil happening to the best person that has ever walked this earth, someone almost every single one of us would say is good or more than good, right? That is the root, the foundation of what we believe. And let me tell you something, friends. If you were to go back to the earliest days of those who followed Jesus, the heroes of the Christian faith, the very earliest followers of Jesus, every single last one of them suffered and endured persecution by Rome and by the early uh, temple uh, authorities. They endured incredible struggle, incredible hardship, and they counted it joy. It was never in their mind that because they believed in a God who was good, that only good would come their way. They never, ever thought that that would be the story. As a matter of fact, that God doesn't exist at all. And I don't know where you came up with that God. My guess is some pastor or priest or some church or Sunday school teacher told you that God was just going to take care of you all the time. But friends, look at this. This is, this is how Christians think about suffering. L listen to this little passage. It's found in the book of James. It says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, what's this word? Trials of various kinds. Be because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces something. It produces what? perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything, right? I mean, we start off two and three and four and eight and nine and 11 years old and our faith is young. 
And our faith is infantile, infantile in our minds. It's, it's young in our thinking. It's, it's immature in our thinking. And the Bible says very plainly that, that these struggles that we live through, it, they are designed to grow us up, to mature our faith. And so friends, if your version of God is one that is supposed to just somehow protect and keep you safe all the time, I'm sorry, leave that God. He's not the right God anyways. That's not the God of the Bible. He deserves to die, that God, because that is not the God of the Bible. Y'all with me so far? Here's the second thing I think that we need to think about. Maybe we have the wrong God in. Uh, it's related to the bodyguard God, but I would call him the Santa Claus God, right? Uh, Andy Stanley and others call him the on-demand God, but I like the Santa Claus God because this is a whole, how a whole bunch of us treat God. You see, we come up with our list for Santa. We present it to him. We make demands of him. And when Santa doesn't deliver the goods on time, then Santa is either a bad Santa or he's not Santa at all, right? And this is where our faith in God gets shaken to the core because we think that, that we're good people and that our requests of God are good and that they're fair and that they're reasonable and they're decent. And we expect God to respond to us in a way that we would respond to other people who make decent requests of us. And we're thinking to ourselves, like we're like, God, I'm not asking you to change the whole world. I'm not asking you to fix all the problems in the whole world. I'm just asking you for a little date once in a while. Or even better, like, I'm not even asking for a date for me. I'm asking for a date for my 38-year-old son who still lives in my basement. I would like to get rid of him one day. That would be awesome, God. What could possibly be so hard about this? Right? And so we put this list out to God. And we say, God, you're Santa. Give me what I need. And so we ask, and we ask, and we ask, and we hear nothing. And we ask for a miracle, and we receive nothing. And, and, and we ask for a sign, but we see nothing and we think in our mind somewhere. We think in our mind that, that God should somehow meet our needs. That's his job. And when he doesn't, our faith begins to crumble. And friends, Santa, his, Santa God is not real. As a matter of fact, here is how Christians think. Biblical Christians think about this idea of presenting our needs to God. Um, here, here's what it says in the book of Philippians chapter four. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Just try that for a minute. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, and pause for a second, do you know what every situation means? Every situation means every situation. That's hard, right? It says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, demand of God. Tell him what to do. Oh, wait, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It says, present your requests to God. It says, present your requests to God. In every situation, just lay it before him, and this is what's going to happen. And the peace of God, when you give your requests to God, he says, the peace of God, which transcends all of your ability to understand, will guard your hearts and your mind. Absolutely, you go to God, humbly, but not demanding. Absolutely, we go to God. We lay things down. But we do not order God around. Children do not order their parents around. Not good parents. Children cannot make demands of parents. And a parent should not jump at the whim of his child. Because a parent knows what is best. And I want you to think back to when you were 15 or 16 years old, maybe 17 years old. Thank God that God did not give me my list of demands. I mean, some of us, 
we would be addicted to some things if God gave us our way. Some of us would be in jail. Some of us would be married <laughs> to the wrong person if God gave us our list of demands all those years ago. You lay it down before God, but it is, if, the, if your idea of, of God is a God who's Santa Claus, who's just gonna meet your every whim, you need to let that God go. You need to give up on that God because he's no God at all. And here's the third one, and I think this is huge for so many people. I think this is, this is it for so many people. It's, I'm just gonna call it my best buddy God. My best buddy, God. This is the God whose presence needs to be ever felt in your life or always felt in your life. You see, we grew up in like maybe a church world or a Sunday school world uh, singing about him, being told about him, that he's always with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. It's like he's in that snuggle bug with you. Like he's in that little, what do they call it? A snuggie blanket. You know, he's like there. He's always with you. He's your cuddle buddy, right? He's always, always, always with you. And his presence is always felt. But the problem is you grow up and it's just not true. The problem is, is you grow up wanting this experience with God. You've come to this point, maybe even intellectually, intellectually where you say, I want to know you, God. But you don't feel God. And everything in the world just kind of drowns out those feelings. And, and here's what happens. You come to church and you're standing next to this lady and she's like, whoa, she's really into it. And all of a sudden the music starts and she starts doing this and she you know, starts to wipe tears from her eyes and she starts to raise her hand a little bit. And, and, all, she's, you know, and you're going, she's feeling something. She's into it. And why am I not feeling anything? I just don't feel his presence. And because, listen, and because, because, listen, because you don't feel his presence, you must, not, you must think that he is not present. Well, who told you that? Who, who made you think that you always need to feel, feel God? Let me, let me ask you something. In fact, did you know that you are least aware of the things that are most constant in your life? You are least aware you are least aware of the things that are most presence, present in your life or most consistent in your life. Like, for example, you don't sit in a room and the temperature's just perfect. I mean, everything is just perfect. You don't just sit, sit next to your buddy and go, the temperature's just amazing in this room. It is just incredible in this room. Wow, I never thought, like, nobody just goes like, wow, gravity is amazing. I just, I've been thinking about gravity and it just never fails me. It never lets me down. This is amazing. It is like here all the time for me and I just love gravity. Nobody Nobody, nobody does that. We are most unaware of the things that are most constant in our life. And yet somewhere along the way, we learn, listen, we learned that, that Jesus is always with us. And we think, listen, and we think that because he's always with us, we always need to feel him. Like he's your boyfriend. Or like your girlfriend. Let me tell you something about life. In every relationship you have, whether it be your marriage, your friendships, your children, it doesn't really matter. You will not always feel like it's the top of the world. You will not always feel like they're ever present in your life. It's just the truth, am I right? It's just the truth. And so somewhere along the way, I don't know if you, you know who Mother Teresa is. Mother Teresa, um, she, she was perhaps, I think, one of the greatest followers of Jesus that our world has known in a long, long time. 
And, and she did some of the most incredible charitable work in the name of Jesus that our world has ever known. And people look at her and they go, she's a spiritual giant. If you've ever heard her preach or if you've ever read her writings, you cannot help but be deeply moved by this woman. Uh, she's passed away now, but, but did you know that before her death, she confessed that she spent what he, she called her desert years, not days, not hours, not months, but years where she said she knew God was ever with her. She knew that God was present in her life, but she did not feel his presence, that she wanted to feel more of the presence of God. Friends, let me tell you something. We have got to stop believing in God is my best buddy, God. Because that's not the truth. Here, here's the next one. I want you to think about this. We've got to go quick on this. Uh, it, it's God is, uh, we, we got a God out there that's called the RoboCop God, right? The RoboCop God. It's this idea that uh, God is just waiting to bring the hammer down on you. He just loves to knock the joy out of your life. He loves to knock the fun out of your life. This is a God that deals with judgment. This is a God that just only wants to steal joy from you. He wants to keep you down. He wants to bring guilt and shame and regret into your life. And he wants you to live there and stay there and to know who's boss, right? Uh, and, and so if it's fun, he says no. If it's free, he says, no, no. If it's sexual, he says, no, 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 no. Right? Right? And when we got this, this, this vision of God, this version of God out there that, that says that, that he wants to pile up this lifetime of experiences of guilt and shame and regret and judgment on us. And that we should be held down there. And friends, I don't know who told you that. But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible wants to bring freedom and joy to your life. Absolutely, he is a righteous God. Absolutely, he is a God who makes judgment. Absolutely, he's a God who made right and wrong, and he separates the two. But he is a God that loves you and wants to bring freedom to you. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, we talk about it all the time in this church. It's a very simple verse. It's found in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. If you are in Christ, God does not condemn you. God does not beat you down. Anybody? There is no robo-cop. There is no guilt cop. There is no waiting to judge you and beat you at every turn. Cop God out there at all. That's not what he wants for you. All right, here's another one. And this one is difficult. Um, it's the anti-science God. The anti-science God. This is where you're forced to choose between undeniable science and unreliable religion. Undeniable science and unreliable religion. We're going to spend a whole week talking about this anti-science God. And, and I hope that you come for that. But, but there is this tension, right, to believe. Do we, do we take this undeniable science or do we take this unreliable religion? And I'm going to tell you something, friends, about me. I can't live with my eyes shut. I can't live with my eyes or my head buried in the sand. At the end of the day, if religion and science have a conflict, if you're an open and honest person, you have to go with what is true. You have to go with what is right. And so there are times that science seemingly must win over faith. And the message so many of us grew up with was this. Stop thinking and just believe. Right? I mean, you grow up in this sheltered little Christian experience that says, just believe, just believe, just believe, just have faith, just have faith, just have faith. Don't think about anything. Don't question anything. And then you get to, to college and what happens? Your whole world is being questioned. And you get there and you think that there is this, this, this anti-science God that you have believed in. And so, of course, what do you do? Eventually, you walk 
away. You stop believing in the God that you grew up with because now you have grown up and that God hasn't grown up with you. Uh, Richard Dawkins in his book, God Delusion, he says this, one of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that, the, there, that it is a virtue to be satisfied without understanding. Some of us think that we don't have to understand, we just need to believe. I love the way Andy Stanley says it. He says, the good news is this, that it's, it's God or science, that God or science is not a false alternative. In other words, it's not one or the other. You see, most of us understand this, that, that Christian faith comes through faith. The, the Christian experience comes through faith. We understand that. We enter into the Christian experience through faith. But let me tell you something. Listen to me. It is not a blind faith. It is not a dumb faith. It is not an unthoughtful faith. It is not just, hey, tell me what to believe and I'm going to believe it because I'm such a loser and I can't think for myself. It is not that at all, friends. As a matter of fact, Christians should be at the forefront of thinking deeply about truth. So uh, let me give you a little ammunition if you're like an agnostic or an atheist in the room. And I'm going to tell you something about Christians. We are hypocrites, but don't tell anybody else, okay? Um, we, we are hypocrites. I'm going to tell you how. Listen, as Christian parents, uh, when, when our kids get sick, where do we take our kids? To the church? Come on, to the church? No, we take them to the doctor. And when the doctor looks at your kid and says, whoa, this could be trouble. This could be big, big trouble. We need to do a full mock-up on the blood and we need to take samples and all that kind of stuff. What do you say? No, 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 no. I'll go home and just pray about it. No, most of us who are logical thinkers go, take all the blood you want, right? Take the test. And then the doctor says, we're going to run it through the labs. We'll call you tomorrow with the results. And what do you do as a parent or grandparent? You go home and sit by the phone. You pray, you pray. Listen, you pray, but you sit by the phone. You ask your friends to pray, but you sit by the phone. And when the doctor's office called, the lab calls and says, hey, we got the results of the test. Uh, do you want to know them? And of course you say, yeah. And they say, well, we think, what we think is going on is we think that God is just teaching you a lesson. No, we go, we don't want that answer. What do we do? We say, give me the truth. Give me the science. Give me the results. And we're happy to receive these results. And friends, friends, listen. There is not opposition of view. There, it's not one or the other. Many times we, we take science for the good of it. And then we just say, I'm not even going to think about anything else. And I don't even need to know anything else. And, and I I'm, I'm about out of time. Shoot. Um, let me tell you something. This leads to the next view of God that has to go. It's the gap God. Because there's so many things, like so many Christians um, believe or grown up, they grew up believing that if you can't explain it, that must be God. That must be God. But the problem is, is when the, the, that God becomes your explanation for all things unexplainable, the problem is, is one day they will probably be explained. And thus, what you thought was building your faith by saying, well, that must be God, is actually destroying your faith because eventually we learn more and more and more about the created world right and so like you go back to that little mall thing right you drive around the mall and all of a sudden you know the parking spots there and you go oh that must be god if we teach our children that that, that there is this gap god who makes up the gap of the unexplainable and that as long as there's some unexplainable that's our excuse for god or that's our reason for god friends that is a lousy belief system because one day 
the very things that are unexplainable become explainable, right? So I want you to think about this. If you believe in this thing called the creative story of God, right? Uh, whether it's a seven-day literal thing or if that's a figurative seven days, it doesn't really matter. But if you believe that God spoke the world into existence and, and God was the creative force behind all that there is, what does it say that happened at the end of those seven days? It says that God came to a, anybody starts with an R, a rest. And he looks at it, he says, it's all good, right? Now, let me tell you something. What has happened since those days is if you believe in that story and God stopped working, what happened to mankind is we went to work exploring God's creation. We went to work understanding, trying to learn the truth that comes from God create, God's creation. And we should never pull back from the search of truth. It was some of the uh, early Christians that really started the modern day science movement out of the 1600s, 1700s. Christians who said, we got to discover this God of creation. And guess what? And guess what? If you were to set to work trying to study the creative uh, order of the world, the cosmos, Listen to what I think you're going to come up with at the very end of it. I think at the end, you are going to come up with a, a, a system, a world, a cosmos that is predictable, sustainable, measurable, stable, and explainable to our children because there is a God of order behind it all. Friends, we cannot hide behind our faith that says, oh, God is just mysterious out there and he's the God of the mysterious and there's a whole bunch of unexplainable things and God's the answer to those things. Because one, at one point, those things are going to fall as well. And let me tell you something, friends. I believe with all my heart that if everything that there was need to be known was explained, all the unknowable was known, I would still think it does not eliminate who God is. Not at all. And we're going to spend a whole week talking about that kind of stuff. So here we are. Um, I am so grateful that you have come and I'm so grateful that you have listened with an open heart. But here's where I want this to land. I just want you to ask this, this question. If you have found yourself in this struggle for faith, moving away from God, moving away from his church, I just want to ask you, what version of God are you believing in that has to die anyways? What version of God? Have you hung your head on saying, I just can't believe because of this? You need to struggle through that. You need to ask questions and you need to find out what truth is because some versions of God need to die. Amen. So um, I'm hopeful that you will come back in the next couple weeks. Actually, we're going to spend another month on this together. Is that okay with you guys? And, uh, and I want to be clear about something real quick that we haven't even begun to talk about what I think, at least, are the reasons why we actually believe in God. I think we might actually tackle that next week. You know, I'm just going to try my best to tell you, at least for me, that this is why I personally believe that there is a creator God. And I hope that you'll join me next week for that, all right? Uh, and I know this might be a little bit awkward for some. Uh, we've invited you to be part of our church um, and we've asked you to come to a series called I Don't Believe. And I know it's awkward to come into church like this. Um, but if it'd be okay with you, I would love to pray together as one group of people. And um, if you could, just out of respect for me and for everything that's going on here, could you just bow your heads together? And I just want to send us out uh, with prayer. So, Father in heaven, um, thank you, God, for who you are. God, for me, you have spoken to me. God, I believe that you have um, showed yourself to me 
And God, it has been a struggle at times, but I am so grateful that you have never given up on me. And so I pray for my friends, my brothers, and my sisters in this room, no matter where they are, that somehow, in some way, uh, you might penetrate their hearts, their minds, their souls. God, would they just be a little bit open to you today? God, I just pray that your spirit would speak into the hearts of men and women. I ask this in my Lord Jesus' name. Amen.